Hey, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. Welcome to Bit Depth, a conversation about the intersection of art and technology. Hey, Chris, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about whether cell phone cameras and AI editing technology are going to replace all professional photographers. Okay, where'd that come from? So uh, this specific topic came from a F-Stoppers video on YouTube that I think literally had the same title, something like, will cell phone cameras replace all professional photographers? But there's a sort of bigger topic going around right now in the news about AI, AI art, generative art, and I think it all ties together. So I thought it'd be fun to maybe pick apart just the F-Stoppers video today and try to figure out like how we feel about this topic. All right, cool. Where do you want to start? All right, so the just a recap here. The premise of the F-Stoppers video is that everyone carries a cell phone all the time, meaning they always have a camera. The cell phone cameras are by themselves bananas good, whether you have an iPhone or an Android phone. The cameras are great. Uh, Apple and Google have added on all this like Insta magic, auto magic, AI editing to make good photos look great out of the box. And then you add on all these AI editing suites that are available as apps and whatever app store you have, which can do things that traditionally you had to do in Photoshop with some level of skill, whether it's like blurring the background, removing objects, removing people, adding people, changing the landscape, color grading, you know, all, all the things that like professionals have done for a long time are now available with a few swipes of your finger and basically no training, no skill. So with the fact that everyone has a you know 15 to 40 megapixel cell phone camera and they can edit it in seconds, why is there a need for any professional photographers? And that was the premise of the F-Stop video. And that's why I think we should dive into a little bit today. All right. That sounds interesting. I think my opinion has always been that tools change continuously and the artistic parts of photography are always within the photographer's brain. Sure. Uh, I agree with that. But does that change the fact if you're a bride looking for wedding photos, you think you might crowdsource your wedding photos from all of your friends to try to save, you know, one, two, three, five thousand dollars $5,000. Maybe it will be good enough. I can get a compilation of photos and, I no longer need to hire a wedding photographer anymore. Or the same is true for a low budget product shoot where you say, hey, I could hire someone to shoot my products products for you know $10,000 or take my iPhone out and maybe it will be good enough and my sales will be the same. Yeah, yeah. I think the commercial aspect is really interesting because commercial photography has sort of a specific requirement. Like it, to be a good product photo, what does a good product photo need to be? Well, the client is, is going to define some of that. And like the, the base requirements are like, it's crisp. It doesn't have reflections of the photographer in the surface of the product, <laughs> like stuff like that. Right. Sure. And Hey, maybe, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the day when computational photography makes it possible. I mean, I've taken photos with my cell phone in a cheap Amazon cloud box lighting system that I bought for like 50 bucks and the, the photo, like, you know, for posting products on eBay or whatever, 
And those photos come out, honestly, to a layman's eye, I would say, like, almost as good as you could do in a studio. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a nuanced conversation, like everything, right? If you're looking to hire, if you're, you know, a moderately successful Etsy shop, and you've been hiring a pro to take photos for you for a long time, because they just look better. Um, You know, you pay the pro, you know, a couple bucks, couple hundred bucks, whatever to do like, you know, half a day's worth of product photos, you know, maybe a cell phone camera and a light box, you know, really is good enough. Uh, On the other hand, if you're a hotel chain or a major retail brand, and you're hiring guys to you know, rent out Wembley Stadium and hire a thousand actors to come in to create some epic piece of art that you're going to use at the Olympics, for example, or, or whatever else, right? Uh, you know, you're still hiring that photographer. He likely isn't going to show up with an iPhone camera only because he could probably eke out a little bit more with, you know, a, a mirrorless camera, a medium format camera, whatever. But you're still going to be hiring someone to to organize and do that creative work. So that's actually an even better question. What if the pro does show up with an iPhone and like 90% of making that shoot possible is hiring the extras, renting the stadium, coordinating all the stuff, the lighting, lighting is a big deal, but I I don't think, yeah, we can maybe include that. Um, I, I know that there were folks that were specifically shooting with iPhones for the shot on iPhone campaign that Apple ran who were using a ton of other pro equipment around the iPhone. So it wasn't like you could just show up on the street with an iPhone and make that image. Like you need like lights, you need reflectors, a rain machine, whatever. But, but I, I guess it just makes me wonder for some of those applications is the camera, is the camera most of the game or not? You know, I think you're going to get to the conclusion here at the start of the show. But, you know, obviously, I, I don't think the camera is most of the game. I, there may be certain requirements where, you know, the art director requires a huge image because he's going to, you know, wrap it around the side of a building and he wants it to look good from two feet and 200 feet. But for the most part, I mean, you're hiring a photographer to create a piece of art or an image for your your business, your brand. And um, I, I don't know if many of them would even care if that came from an iPhone or from a Hasselblad or anything in between. Is the question, are we trying to dissect whether the F stoppers video claim that professional photography could be coming to an end is accurate? Well, that was their clickbait. Yeah. Yeah. So that was their clickbait headline. And and that's what I would like to sort of dive into, right? Like is, is it going to end? And I think the answer is, is probably largely not for most people. Uh, and maybe for some. I'm interested in the for some part. What I see is it absolutely makes sense that there are going to be some photographers out there who will lose their jobs to to a computer, maybe. And if if what the top-tier pros are showing up with is more than just the ability to press the shutter button, those people will probably maintain their great their great businesses. Yeah. So I I think it's like everything. And there's a caveat that I want to talk about in the end to this. But, you know, if you're if you're not differentiating yourself, if you're not making compelling work and it could easily be replaced by some staffer with an iPhone, you know, your job might be in jeopardy. If your job is to, you know, just take product photos all day long and they are like very flat in a white box, uninteresting product photos, um, 
you know, maybe someone will figure out that they can do it with an iPhone uh, to the same degree. On the other hand, if you're organizing and going out and finding models and props and sets and lighting and making um, incredibly compelling product photos that differentiate you and the brand, uh, no one's going to care whether you use an iPhone or a regular phone. And no one in that no one in that organization is going to think, oh, I could do that on my iPhone because my iPhone takes great photos because it's so much more than just what image your phone can make. I suppose the same argument is if you're a company, like you could go out and spend a couple of grand and get a digital camera and do the work you've been paying a photographer to do, but that's not it, right? You're paying for the photographer for his work. So, um, you know, I, I think like in historical times past, um, the low end will suffer. Um, yeah. And what do you think about that? I think that makes sense. And the example that, uh, that I think we chatted about offline was digital photography. Yeah. When digital digital came on the scene and photographers were like, oh, digital photography is going to kill photography. Photography's over. <laughs> right. Uh, if everyone can go out and spend two grand and have a digital SLR and a good lens, why are they going to hire us? But, you know, let's, let, let, let's look into that a little bit more. Um, Obviously, the internet wasn't around, but when 35 millimeter, 35 millimeter film came out, you know, there was a thought from pros who were shooting with, you know, four by five view cameras and medium format cameras that, oh, my God, there's a democratization of, of photography. And now anyone can go out for a few bucks and get like a reasonably good film camera. Why are they going to hire a pro? And then obviously they still hired pros and then digital came out. And the same thing happened. You know, if, if anyone can go and get a camera, why are they going to hire a pro? And and they still hired pros. And I would almost argue, I think I would argue actually, that when digital cameras came out, it opened up a larger market for photographers. I think there are more now than ever before. So in, in a lot of ways, um, I'd like to talk about the ways where this could actually advance pros and not uh, detract from the industry. Yeah, let's talk about advancing pros. What what are you thinking of, uh, about that? I mean, one, just as a barrier to entry, if you're an aspiring artist and you can't go out and afford a digital camera, but you happen to have an iPhone or a Google phone, you can now go out and make some compelling work to share to the world without having to spend any extra money. Hmm. So, you, so can, you, you can go out there now. I see. Yeah. You mean advancing and, the broadening the field of professional photography? Sure. Like invites sure. more people in to learn to be pros. Yeah. I mean, how, there, there might be some phenomenal artists out there who want to be photographers who don't have the means to, you know, buy one of the current digital cameras, but they happen to have an iPhone or a Google phone and they can go make compelling work. I mean, you've, you've seen the shot on iPhone campaign, right? You can make some really cool work and like, you know, you might not always have a camera with you, but you might always have a phone with you. And if your phone can make compelling images, if you can edit them and share them quickly, um, you know, that's still art, right? I was thinking okay, about, so, I was just, okay, go on. No, no, finish your thought. So I was just, I was just in New York, you know, and I keep seeing things. That I was like, oh man, like I see an image, like I see a building or a sign or like a scene. And I'm like, this could be like a real photo. Like, I don't, you know, I'm there for my real job. I don't have my camera bag with me. I don't have like a real in quotes camera, but I have my iPhone 
and I can make a great image with my iPhone and I can edit on my iPhone. I could share it on my iPhone. And, you know, is that any less valid than if I had uh, my like Leica Q2 or like a Hasselblad with me? Like, I, it, and then the result, like it's an image is an image, right? So like, who cares the medium that came from? But I have it with me in my pocket and I see it and I can take it. And, and there it is. Let's get, let's come back to who cares, who cares what medium it came from. I, I, I want to talk about more di like digitally created imagery later, and maybe we'll come back to why should it matter? I don't know. I don't know. We'll talk about that. But I wanted to also mention just because, uh, because you were using the iPhone example, you remember the F stoppers video where they did a model shoot. They did model shoots with iPhones and like yes. cheap accessories. I think they maybe used like a spray bottle of water, or like a flashlight, right? Sure. Things commonly available to you. That seemed to me though, like an example that precisely contradicts the point they were trying to make with the, this like, Oh, AI, it's gonna, gonna destroy digital. It's gonna destroy professional photography because the skill to put those accessories together and properly light a scene and direct a model is something that the computer can't do. Like so far you can manipulate some of the focus depth and lighting effects with sure. AI or with post-processing, but it's never going to look the same as if you did it in reality. It's almost like they just need a clickbaity headline to put out there and that's, they, <laughs> and that's what they used. And they don't even believe it themselves. I mean, since their whole business is training other photographers, it would be a real shame if there were no photographers to train, wouldn't it? That's true. Well, I think what we're saying is, I mean, we're saying it's a clickbait headline that's probably not true, but also that the advent of these technologies may in fact increase the audience for their training. It may. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, totally agree. We could dive into some other. So we talked about commercial quite a bit, but like I gave the quick, the quick, you know, the wedding example up front, but I think they talked about wedding photographers for a while. And, you know, everyone who I know has gotten married, who's gotten married recently still has a photographer at their wedding, right? They want a cohesive collection of work. They want someone who photographs weddings, they find a guy or a girl who shoots in a style they like, right? Whether it's all like journalistic or like really posed or like bananas over the top, everything looks like it should be on Instagram type photos. But, you know, they want a series of photos. They don't want to go out and collect, you know, like all their friends' photos after and, and hope to God that they have enough that like sort of shows their whole day. And I don't see that ending anytime soon either. And, you know, maybe they hire someone who shoots the whole wedding on their iPhone. I mean, it's possible. But again, they're still hiring a photographer, so it doesn't mean the industry is dead. Chris, you've shot weddings before. What's the hardest part? What's the hardest part? Making sure you get all the moments and you don't miss anything. Because you never know what's going to be the most impactful to them. So you can talk to them beforehand. And the bride and groom, the bride, she has an idea of like, this is what really matters to me. Right. But, but after she was like, Oh my God, you got a photo with my grandma, my great grandma, my grandpa, you know, he passed away a year later and that becomes the most impactful thing. So you have to really make sure you get it all. And it is, it's a very stressful sort of maddening race the whole day that like you don't miss any of these moments and you just try to get all of them. And 
you know, if you're crowdsourcing it with cell phones, like Lord only knows whether you got that moment or not, right? Or maybe it's the look the groom has when the when he first sees his bride coming down the aisle or like whatever it is. But it's those little moments. And when you're shooting a wedding, you're just trying to get as many as you can because you never know what's going to be the difference maker in the end. I was kind of baiting you, as you probably could tell. Uh, I was looking for you to say basically exactly that and the the groupings of the wedding party, right? There's You always want to capture each of the groupings that people want. So, right. But and, like and you, the order they want them in too, right? And like, yeah, sure. oh no, I want to have, I want to have uh, my, my brother and my sister and my two step siblings without my dad, but then with my dad, but then without my mom, then with my mom. And like, this really matters to them. And it's, it's another thing of just getting all the photos that they might want later. But you wouldn't say that the hardest part is making those images uh, come out in focus. No, the camera right. does that for you, it right? Does, like, yeah. And especially like, I, so I shot weddings like almost 20 years ago, autofocus for sure, but not what we have now with like IAF where like you point at the bride and you're like, don't lose focus. And her face will be in focus until you tell it not to be right. It just locks on for the, the entire night. Uh, like shooting like actual camera settings are the easiest part of shooting a wedding. Clearly. So that's actually interesting too. Within wedding photography specifically, even before we talk about anything like computerization, post-processing, AI stuff, the technology of photography has changed vastly over the past 20 years, and that has not killed wedding photography. It has not even produced, I would say, like a glut of equally uh, of equally talented wedding photographers. Like, sure, oh, it's, there's, done, there's... it's done the opposite. Right. So when I was shooting weddings, everyone basically shot the same style, right? Pretty formal style, definitely lots of posed photos. There are a couple of guys who did like journalistic style, but like predominantly it was all the same. And there weren't a ton of us out there either because, you know, 2000, 2001, 2003, like um, digital cameras kind of just coming on. A lot of guys still shooting film. Um, digital cameras get really relevant, get really cheap. Uh, and now you have lots of wedding photographers shooting lots of different styles, right? And it's it's kind of crazy the options you have now as a as a bride and a groom, and and the choice and the diversity that you have, and, and you didn't have that before. So, like far from digital cameras killing wedding photography, I think it expanded the industry. I have no stats on this, but just from like what I see out there, you know, fivefold, tenfold, um, the barrier to get out there now is so small and. You know, there's still obviously a huge market for it. I wonder if there isn't just a little bit of truth to what the F-stoppers are saying. I I think the end of professional photography is total clickbait. That's bullshit. We could just say it. Uh, I clicked the explicit box for our podcast, so we oh, can swear if we want to. That's this, good. It's, this, is, this is an adult-only podcast. Oh, fucking um, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if there isn't a little bit of truth to the notion that even though having more photographers who could produce great stuff is great for consumers of photography, it's great for companies who want to hire photographers for commercial purposes, great for brides and grooms who want to hire photographers for their wedding, it probably reduces the cost. Sure. So in a way, if you're somebody who worked very hard for decades to learn how to to learn how to use relatively complex equipment 
I mean, nowadays you just buy a Sony camera, you point it at somebody's face. I guarantee you it's in focus. That's not going to be a problem. And with all of these adaptive flashes that do like ETTL and all that, like exposure isn't really an issue either. You can learn how to bounce a flash in about 20 minutes. Uh, you know, sure. all that all that means is that those skills are worth somewhat less. Sure. Um, in the wedding case, it's still pretty easy, though, right? Like if you're a creative person, you have a creative eye, you have your own style, your own editing style, your work stands out, you're still doing okay. I think I thought where you were going is you're going to say stock photography is going to be dead. And I would argue it's been dead for the last 10 years. So <laughs> no, who, yeah. who cares, right? I thought, <laughs> I really thought you were queuing up that like, if you're a stock photographer now, like your days are over, but like, I, I can't imagine anyone's actually making a living selling stock anyway. So. Well, I, I wouldn't say, yeah, I agree. I agree. Stock, or phot- stock photography has been dead for a long time already, but I, I would counter and say, that doesn't mean that nobody is making money making stock photography it just means that that number used to be like a thousand people and now it's like four <laughs> right maybe uh right i i mean you go on upsplash you go on all these sites where they almost give it away for free right or they Unsplash, sell it to you Pixabay. for like yeah you know pennies in the dollar so you got guys just giving away work and I, i'm not quite sure for what exposure maybe but i don't think anyone actually looks at who the photographer is so um you know there's a sea out there of of stock photography um, generative photography and AI might affect that industry more than the rest. So we talked before, like, yeah, like it's going to affect and come down on some people, right? Uh, low skilled sort of generic work and and maybe some of the stock guys who are still hanging on. Uh, on the other hand, if you're a creative human being and you're making compelling work, I, I think you're still going to make compelling work. What they did co- touch on. Hmm. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was going to change the subject. So go on. So was I. Oh, I'll start. So what they didn't touch on uh, is professional sports photographers. Oh, yeah. Because I can't imagine a guy in like in like the photo ball pin at like a professional major league baseball game holding up his iPhone camera, praying that he gets the ball popping off the bat of like the winning home run. Um, Our cell phone cameras are good. They're still not that good. They likely never will be because the lens can't be three feet long. And the sensor can't be uh, an inch and a half or two inches big. So, you know, those guys seem like they're going to be pretty safe. And I don't think anyone's going to generate a fake baseball player hitting a fake home run that's going to make it into the news. This is actually a perfect segue. I was going to try to bring us back to that mention that you made of uh, if you use an iPhone to make an image and it's a great image, who cares that it was an iPhone versus some other kind of camera? And I wanted to just take that one step further to you said, who would care? Like people would care if it is or is not the photo of the actual hitter Event. hitting the yep. actual ball on the day. Yep. And and we know from our personal experience that newspapers in cities like New York send photojournalists out to photograph the fireworks every year because they can't run last year's fireworks photo, no. even though you would never be able to tell the difference. Right. That's journalistic integrity. People do care. Like I would care if I found out that that photo wasn't (laughs) of the event that they were reporting on. I think I'd be a little bit disappointed. Okay, so that brings us to all of this generative AI driven uh, like text prompt stuff like Dolly, Mid Journey, Stable Diffusion. These are these are AI models. You can feed it a text string 
and it literally from nothing from a ton of training data produces an image that fits that description and kind of the claim is like well who's going to need a photographer anymore blah 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 you could just type in what you want and you'll get it sure i think what's interesting about that is where that might apply where that could work for something like stock maybe that could work like i because because like i'm i'm a, i'm an editor for a magazine and what i need is a hero image for this article that should be something along these lines poof i can have it great right maybe it's like really cheap too because a computer just generated that nobody had sure. to go out and set up a set uh, or, i don't know it might cost more in power than the the stock guys are giving it away on the other sites right so who knows they're going to charge you in the end for some of these generative images but but sure it's going to affect stock photography you're absolutely play, right i mean that'll play out over time. poor guys well but the if question, you're out there making stock i'm super sorry it feels like it's beating up on you all afternoon here if you do shoot stock photography and you have a position on this, please write into us. I would love to hear. I would love to hear the perspective of somebody who has a ton of work on Unsplash. I would love to hear the perspective of somebody who has a ton of work on Getty. I would actually like to right. hear both of those perspectives. If you're out there, please write. Uh, contact in the show notes. <laughs> I used um, to put work on Getty, and uh, even when it got bought, like my cut was so little that it became not worth it for me to put anything out there. Because stock is a volume on. business. It's a volume business. Yes. But I, I, I was going to bring it back to something that we touched on the last time we chatted offline, that when you produce a photo of a landscape, there's a certain expectation from certain... Um, there would be an expectation of a customer, perhaps, of yours. Right. That, that is, in fact, a landscape that you photographed with a camera. Right. And, I think where it gets interesting is like, let's talk about what that means. What does it mean for it to be a real landscape photo? How much post-processing well, I mean, is possible before it's not? Well, I mean, there are there are consumers of fine art out there who want to buy art only or photos only created on film cameras, right? That's the thing. There are guys who make a great living shooting view cameras right now, and they have an audience who wants to who wants to purchase their film photography work. And then you got guys out there who are making awesome, compelling images on digital cameras, and there are folks who want to buy their work. And I'm sure there'll be people who want to buy completely generative art of scenes, you know, so like, you know, tunnel view on Yosemite, but generated from a computer. You know, I'm sure there are people who would like to buy that. At the same time, there are going to be people who want to buy a piece of art from someone who is actually standing there, who put the effort in to capture, you know, how that place looked that day. Because they want a representation of a real place, not what a computer thought that place looked like on any given day. And there are still people who want to buy the guy who was there with his uh, 8x10 view camera. Um, and there are some great film artists out there uh, making a, a phenomenal living, uh, you know, shooting film. At the risk of, at the risk of going into another huge topic that, that we should create another episode for, I just want to mention, I was driving home from Portsmouth with my wife today and uh, we were talking about the harvest moon last night that this whole weekend the moon has been just crazy huge yeah. red moon and uh and she was saying why is it that the moon looks so much bigger to me than it does in a photo and I said well I suggested to her well if you're looking at it just mentally widen your view like 
make your view through your eyes more expansive. And, and she was like, holy shit. <laughs> like the moon right. looks so much smaller when I mentally widen my view. And then she was like, so, but so why does it look so big? Like, oh, it's a trick of the mind. And then I went on to explain that sometimes as a photographer, I might want to make the moon physically bigger in a photo because that's the way I perceived it. And I want the photo to be seen by someone else in the way that I saw it at the time. And then that led her to, to ask, did Ansel Adams like do a bunch of like processing on his photos? Yep. And I said, I don't think he made the moon bigger, but he definitely did a lot of processing on his photos. A lot. Um, this is a bigger topic that maybe we shouldn't yeah. dive into. Uh, yeah. Bigger topic. But this is all just, I mean, this is all just to say it's all art and there are folks out there who are specifically interested in probably each of those categories of fully generative, of totally representational, minimally edited photograph, and all of the stuff in between that's like a photograph with some editing, maybe the moon is a little bigger, that kind of thing. And that there's somebody out there to appreciate each of those kinds of art. Yes. And there'll always be a market for all of them because humans have a diversity in taste and whatever it is that you shoot now, uh, if you're great at it, you'll probably be able to keep doing it long into the future, uh, basically forever. I think is what we're trying to say. Regardless of how the tools and technology change. Correct. Yeah. Art is art. And the F-stoppers are wrong. They're wrong. That's our clickbait headline. The F-stoppers are wrong, period. Done. Great show. Awesome show. <laughs> Good talk, Aaron. <laughs>